A reading from the book of Acts. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The word of the Lord. Greetings, one fellowship, family, and friends. Pastor Paul here, and I'm very excited to dive into Acts chapter 15 with you today. But before we begin, will you bow your heads with me for a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of my message today is Grace Alone, and I'd like to begin by asking this question. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to start something new? Be it a new sport, a new school year, right kids, parents, or even a new business? Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to start something new? I recently came across a social media post by a lifelong friend who shared with his kids what it was like to birth something new. It might just be the most entertaining social media post I've ever read. Let's show this first picture that accompanied the post. Here are my friends Keith and Amy, and they brought all their kids into their minivan this past week. Why? Well, the post reads, it's Kyla's birthday today. Amy, my wife, had the idea of watching the DVD of her birth. So we piled into our minivan because that's our only DVD player that we own. L-O-L. Everything started with awe and amazement. And then they saw the birth. And then they saw the placenta. 
These poor children will never forget this birthday. And you know what? I have visual confirmation of that truth. Look, look at the cute little one in the middle. She's like, Dad, what are you making me watch? And then, of course, the birth itself, no one can watch. They're covering their eyes. What have you done to us, Mom and Dad? And the, the cutie in the back, the blonde, she, she's just biting her shirt because that's Kyla. It's her birthday. She's kind of obligated to watch the birth of her own uh, self, right? So first, kids, if you haven't figured it out, moms are the superheroes of the universe. Just to bring you into the world took amazing love and sacrifice. Can I get an Amen. And second, kids, if your parents ever offer to show you the birthing video of your siblings or you, politely say, no, thank you, I am good. Some things are better left unseen. Friends, starting anything is often hard and messy. As we turn our attention back to the book of Acts today, Uh, We see this was true even for the birth of the early church. There were disagreements, there were missteps, fights, and alliances that immediately crept into the family of God as it was started. Yet as we see in our passage today, there's a simple yet lasting truth that ended up forming the very backbone of the family of God for generations to come. Friends, the church is not a family who all look the same. The church is a family who are all loved the same. This is our big idea that we're going to unpack today. Let me repeat it. The church is not a family who all look the same. The church is a family who are all loved the same. Point one, the church is not a family who all look the same. Our passage begins, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Friends, the early church had a problem. Outsiders were becoming insiders in God's family. If you recall, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his followers, his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is all about that mission unfolding. It begins with the Jews in Jerusalem, and then it goes to their neighbors, the Samaritans, then goes to Africa through an Ethiopian delegate, and then goes to the Romans through a military leader named Cornelius. Page after page, chapter after chapter, we see people repenting or turning of their sin and self-reliance and returning to a deep, rich, abiding relationship with God by trusting in Jesus. The problem, even though the message of Jesus first came to the Jewish people, 
It was not limited to the Jewish people. And this ended up um, concerning and upsetting some in the early church. In fact, our passage would later read, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. You see, what these Jewish Christians were arguing is that if the Gentiles or outsiders wanted to believe like them, they needed to become like them. Sure, people could accept Jesus in their hearts, but they needed to become Jewish in their lives. They needed to walk and talk, worship and conform to their way of doing things in order to be welcomed into the family. Circling back to verse 1, these insiders were even saying that the salvation of these outsiders, the Gentiles, even depended on it, depended on their level of conformity. The irony, of course, is that God never gave the law to the Jews so that they could prove their worthiness. No, he gave the law to the Jews to keep them safe by his love and sovereignty. And to make matters worse and even more complicated, by the time this book was written, the national pride and pain of the people of Israel had become so strong that many could never imagine sitting at the same table, let alone worshiping in the same room as a Gentile. Many had lost sight of the calling by God on the Jewish people that we see in Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. No, for some of the early church, they saw their role more as judge and jury rather than friend and light bearer to their neighbors and the nations. Okay, now fast forward to now. If you've hung around the church long enough, most likely you have tasted this reality. Perhaps you know what it's like to walk into a sanctuary and have haughty eyes glaring at you because you look or sound different. Maybe you were a different race or nationality than the majority of the people in the room. Maybe you simply didn't dress the way others thought you should dress. Perhaps you were even like me, the college kid with dreadlocks, a nose ring, recycled clothes, trying to just simply find his identity in Jesus apart from his parents. You were the outsider. Or perhaps you found yourself on the other side, excuse me, other side of the aisle, assessing or judging everything or everyone that is involved in a church. Did you see who showed up today? Do you know their real story? Did you see what so and so was wearing or so and so was saying today? Is that the Sorensen kid over there? Perhaps without realizing it, you've taken the attitude of an insider. In the words of Pope Francis, the most dangerous idol is our own selves when we want to occupy the place 
of God. And that is what some of the early church leaders in our passage were attempting to do. Occupy the place of God. The church is not a family who all look the same. And for God, this is intentional, which leads me to point two. The church is a family who are all loved the same. Our passage continues. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Friends, the best truth is the one that brings us to our knees. And that's exactly where Peter led the early church leaders. First, through his own testimony, Peter moves the discussion uh, away from the naysayers who think, who were discussing who should be let into the family of God. And he led them to who God already had let into the family of God, referencing Acts 10 in his conversion of Cornelius and Cornelius's friends. I love how the message summarizes Peter's words. He, God, treated the outsiders exactly as he treated us, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed in him. Isn't that amazing? You see, unlike humans, God doesn't throw up barriers based on a person's social standing, economic status, race, or nationality. No, he goes for the heart. And in so doing, he actually breaks down the barriers that divide us, that keep us from loving him and loving one another. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is where Peter next lays bare the gospel. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No! We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Let, re let me repeat that. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Do you see what Peter has done? He has moved the discussion from a place of comparison to a place of confession. He's moved the discussion from looking down at others to looking up at God. In the words of my father and many wise folk, he's put down the magnifying glass and he's picked up the mirror. Tim Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, says it like this. When we grasp that we are unworthy sinners saved by an infinitely costly grace, it destroys both our self-righteousness and our need to ridicule others. 
And that is exactly what Peter does in Acts chapter 15. Peter calls all people, both the insiders and the outsiders, to the infinitely costly grace of Jesus Christ. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The story is told of a prosecuting attorney in a small town courthouse called, uh, excuse me, let me begin again with this story. The story is told of a prosecuting attorney in a small town courthouse called his first witness, an elderly woman, to the stand. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you are a rising big shot, but you haven't the brains to realize you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer stunned. Now he turns, he says, not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she replied, why, of course. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. I used to babysit him. He too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted, and has a drinking problem. The man couldn't, uh, can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him too. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom to silence and called both of the lawyers to the bench. And he said in a very quiet voice, and he said it with menace, if either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you both in contempt of court. You see, the truth is God knows each of us and we all stand in need of grace. Though we may all come to Jesus different, he loves us all the same. And friends, do you know what results when we all receive and share in the same grace, the grace of Jesus? A gospel family is formed that loves one another through thick and thin. With all of our words and worries, good steps and bad, we become brothers and sisters who encourage one another, pray for one another, fight for one another, and serve one another. And that's what I love about the church, especially our church, One Fellowship. We are a band of misfits of all ages from all different backgrounds gathered around Jesus who trust in his grace for our hearts, our homes, our city, and our world. So let us know, whoever you are, let us all know this lasting truth. The church is not a family who all look the same. The church is a family who are all loved the same. As we close, I invite you either to open the palms of your hands or to even step up, excuse me, stand up wherever you are 
to pray to receive this grace, maybe for the first time or maybe just for this new season we're entering this fall from Jesus. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you and we reflect on this passage, we all know we, we stand in need of grace. To be known by you is both terrifying and amazing. That you know us, you forgive us, and you still love us. God, may that love change our own lives, but it may it change how we interact with one another in this family you call the church. God, would you build us up and would you build our church up? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.